Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Culinary Storytellers Uplifting Their Communities. Every culture, community, and person has a unique story to tell. Join the James Beard Foundation and Best Served as we share and listen to stories that uplift our communities and become pathways to guide us to a more vibrant future. Hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. We're going to get this uh, get this clubhouse rolling. Uh, thanks to Talk Club for hosting us and uh, everybody here who's uh, a part of the great conversations that Talk Club is always putting out on the clubhouse. Uh, this is Culinary Storytellers Uplifting Their Communities. We are recording this room. So uh, if at the point towards the end when we open hand raising, anybody wants to come up stage, we will remind you uh, this will be recorded uh, Corey is in the room to make sure that we uh, we get all this great storytelling and audio, and we will be publishing this on Best Served Podcasts, audio platforms, Anchor, Apple, Google, anywhere that you get podcasts uh, this upcoming Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So if you got a jet, you can capture the whole conversation uh, there. And uh, uh, yeah, this room is going to be running for an hour. We're going to hear stories from each of the uh of the great panel of speakers here and uh yeah we try to get hand raising in maybe that last 15 minutes so stick around or pop back in if you're here now but uh want to have you be able to to ask some questions uh of the of the speakers and uh and maybe even be able to share an additional story or two and it looks like we got the whole crew up on stage here so yeah this has been a long time coming i think uh we're here from uh debbie from the james beard foundation uh christine morgan from their team as well been really active over the last two months that we've been planning this four parts the little mini series here and this is the first of this four part series so i'm beyond excited to have everybody here for this so do check in over the next four weeks every tuesday at 5 45 p.m eastern time We'll be talking about uh, we'll be talking about the quote unquote labor shortage and understanding that from a professional aspect. We'll be talking about uh, sustainability, especially in food packaging, and we'll be talking and hearing some voices from the indigenous native uh, community as well through this series. So, did I did I hit all the points of setting the room, Mimi? Oh yes. <laughs> I'm getting better at this. I'm, I've been really really working awesome. on it. So yeah, so we're going to be hearing from, uh, like I said, Debbie from the James Beard Foundation, who this is uh, in collaboration with. We're going to be hearing from Victoria and Jay from Edible History, Joshua Wolbert from Love Food More, uh, Amber Mayfield from Wild Entertaining, and Chef Michelle Fox, as well as uh, Mimi Lan, my co-host, the one that keeps me on the straight and narrow understanding how to communicate on Clubhouse, uh, the taste curator and so just take a moment, uh, let you all know kind of what to expect, a little bit of run of show, then I'm going to go ahead and introduce really quickly each of the speakers just in a little bit more depth. Uh, they're going to go through and just very quick, almost like uh, uplifting, storytelling, slam 
kind of three minutes to kind of tell those stories, really what encapsulates their inspirational story, the thing that galvanizes them and brings forth story to community, which I think is incredibly important. And then we'll probably popcorn style around a little bit, uh, hear from the speakers a little bit, their ability to be able to bring that story to life. I'm very fascinated in how you find that story within you. I think especially as food, as food people, sometimes, you know, it's so focused on the food and, and we forget about ourselves in that because we are the conduit for those, those culinary experiences. So I want to be able to really understand how you find that story within you. Can they help us with that? Ways to express that story. Is it written? Is it audio? Is it video? Is it photo? Is it all of the above? How are you bringing that story to life and bringing it to people in the way that we consume stories in this kind of modern age? Uh, and I'm also very interested to find out, you know, how you find your audience, your people, your community. Who are they? How do you, you know, surround yourselves with them? I think especially, again, being in this digital age, they may not just have to be the neighbor down the street. They could be somebody across the country, across the world, who you really resonate with, whose story is like yours, whose story you aspire to, whose your story inspires them. So that's some of what I want to be able to kind of learn from this talk today. So I hope everybody is ex as excited as I am about that. And again, we'll, we'll open up hand raising for that last 15 minutes of this hour long discussion. Uh, I want to set the tone for a moment. I like sometimes starting with, with a quote, uh, quotes that both uh, haunt me, devastate me, inspire me. I'm very motivated by words. Clearly I talk a lot, love what Maya Angelou has to say. Well, in almost everything, but this one, especially, there is no greater agony than the bearing of an untold story inside you. And I truly believe that everybody on stage here, everybody who's taken the time to be in this room, everybody who's listening to the recording on the podcast, you have a story inside you. It's meaningful. It's powerful. No matter what anybody has told you to the contrary, in spaces like this, and the people we're going to hear from today, and the community that we're building here, and this talk club and the opportunity that they're creating on Clubhouse, this is how story develops. And we believe so profoundly in story, so profoundly in the people and the humanity of those stories, the struggle, the pain, the joy, that this is the space that we want to be in. And so that, I really wanted to set the tone for this conversation. Uh, I've talked... Uh, entirely too much about about <laughs> what I'm inspired by and what I'm focused on. So I want to take a moment and I'm going to introduce uh, each of the speakers here so we can learn a little bit more about them. I'm going to let Debbie then uh, introduce uh, herself and I want to know a little bit about uh, why storytelling is important to the James Beard Foundation. But let me just go around the room and introduce everybody quick. So Mimi Land, as I mentioned, taste curator, uh, somebody who talks about being in their third act in life and really finding food and finding her heritage as a Vietnamese American chef. Uh, Viglo, Vietnamese with global influence or a pop-up series that you can find from Mimi. And so somebody who's really inspired and taught me a lot about, uh, about storytelling on Clubhouse. So we'll be hearing from Mimi. Uh, Michelle Fox who's out in uh, the smallest possible town in Washington, uh, really a chef, a farmer, a storyteller, somebody that's trying to reimagine the food systems of the future and what that looks like here on Clubhouse, somebody who's uh, been very active, Female Farmers United, 
is what you can find. And uh, I'm excited to see Michelle is working on a, on a whole series of, uh, of cooking videos. So we'll definitely want to look into that. Uh, Joshua Woolbutt, a Cambodian-American chef who uh, uh, really inspires me with the, the video work, especially that, uh, that you do as a storyteller and uh, very much on that rising star chefs working at places like you know, Nomad, Per Se, 11 Madison Park, and then also uh, bringing that, that flavor, that hot sauce in uh, Baby Daddy's Hot Sauce and uh, a great storyteller as well. Uh, Amber Mayfield, uh, I love this, Amber. I'm a professional dinner party planner. I'm just going to read this. Seriously, it's a real job. Love, absolutely. You're making sure that brands produce dope food experiences. We need more of that, not the plastic experiences that sometimes have been pervasive a little bit. And also just helping people bring that energy when they host at home, I think super important, especially now, because uh, sometimes we need to find those moments that we can bring joy into our own homes, uh, especially now in these times. So appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, Victoria, founder of the Supper Club Edible History. We'll hear more about that. Food historian, love, big fan of just, I just love history. I just love the, the trajectory that we take as people the anthropological view of that. So really appreciate for that born and raised in New York and, uh, and really just thinking about, uh, the lens of, of food and food history. So thank you for that. And then Jay, Jay rifle, uh, is the executive chef of edible he- history and uh, Michelin trained. So got that same pedigree, like, uh, like Joshua and kind of really now thinking about, Focusing historical cuisine created from original source materials. So I'm very interested in that, kind of how we're, we're taking some things back to root, to look backwards, to look forward, I think is what I appreciate about what Edible History does. All right, I hope I have done very quickly enough service to know who you're going to be hearing from and uh, wanted to pass the mic over to Debbie uh, from the James Beard Foundation to just introduce yourself, please, first. Uh, and then talk about the James Beer Foundation's drive Thank to have you, storytellers Jensen. be at the forefront. Yeah, please, Debbie, jump in here. How? Uh, let me just do a, a quick check. How's my mic? How's my sound? Ignore the bus that just drove by behind me. You're good to go. Can you guys hear me okay? We got you. Okay, awesome. Through an assortment of reasons, I find myself in the beautiful Saratoga Park in bed right now, but I'm not going to let that stop this, uh, this quick introduction. Um, hi, everybody. My name is Debbie Holloway. I'm the community coordinator at the James Beard Foundation. It's such a joy and an honor to be with all of these great folks tonight, to be with each of you. Thank you so much, Jensen, for totally leading the way in our awesome introduction and for helping us kick off this collaboration we're really excited for it. Um, and yeah, what does storytelling mean to the James Beard Foundation? I, I won't take long because I'm excited to hear more from our storytellers tonight, but we all know that stories connect us, right? That humans tell stories to pass on important things about our cultures, our histories, our families, and our personal lives. And something the James Beard Foundation has long been a proponent of is that food can be an incredible and very tasty way of storytelling. So at JBF, our mission is to support and elevate the people and cultures behind the food. So, you know, celebrating not just the food itself, 
but celebrating the storytellers, the people who are making the food, serving the food, telling those stories. And I hope, we hope, that in some small way, the James Beard Foundation can be a part of amplifying important and beautiful food stories, whether it's someone's personal story that they want to tell through a dish at one of our events or an interview on our Instagram page that's delving into the history behind a community or a culture or an important tradition or an incredible conversation like the one we're having this evening. So it's an honor to be amongst such talented and passionate storytellers tonight. And Jensen, I'll kick it back to you. Yeah, just the space that we're creating here is, is so so important and so i'm grateful for this this opportunity and i'm fired up i just i love hearing both just hard and devastating stories of what it takes to bring food to bring culture to bring our humanity to the table to the glass to the forefront to our experience and uh and the joy that that it also brings so i, I think it it is an encapsulation of who we are as, as kind of food people. So, all right, with no further ado, I want to I bop around a little bit and get some of these stories. We're going to kind of, again, like storytelling slam, three minutes uh, on, on the mic to be able to kind of give us that inspirational story, the thing that really makes uh, you go. And uh, I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, I have no idea what stories anybody's going to tell. That's kind of the exciting part about it. But uh, wanted to maybe actually start with Victoria. I felt like Victoria might uh, set a good tone for us and, and, and help us maybe reflect and look back a little bit, which is always a good way to look forward. So, uh, again, not, no pressure, Victoria, but uh, three minutes. Please give us, uh, give us your story. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks so much for, for having me. Um, so I'm a historian by training. Um, but I've worked in restaurants for years. And about seven or eight years ago, I had this idea to bring together my interest in history um, along with my passion for food. And Edible History, a historical supper club was born, which I run alongside uh, alongside Jay Rifle, who uh, will speak shortly, I'm sure. And essentially what Jay and I do is we recreate meals from the past. All the dishes are sourced from period manuscripts or cookbooks that range from 10th century Baghdad to the medieval Silk Road of Asia to Renaissance Italy to Al-Andalusia, which is Muslim world Spain, to the Inca Empire, the Aztec Empire. Um, and really what we're trying to do with this specific approach to history through food is to recover the stories of those who have been left out of the traditional historical narrative. Um, the history that we learn in schools has largely been written by white men and women and people of color are kind of missing from the historical record and it's not because we weren't there. Um, so if we cannot recover their voices and their lives through the records that they left behind, um, perhaps we can recover them we can learn about them through the food that they ate. Uh, so really what we do at Edible History is a, a sensorial storytelling experience of the past. And I'm happy to pass the mic on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lo love hearing that. G give me, paint just a little bit more of a picture of, of the sensorial. I didn't even realize that was a word. I'm going to use that word now. <laughs> that word. Sensorial, a sensory experience. Paint a picture. What am I tasting, feeling, touching? Just give me a little bit of a snapshot. I, I need that in my life. 
Victoria? Absolutely. Um, so uh, a great dish that uh, we made actually at uh, the James Beard House last February of 2020, last time we were there in person, um, we made a Mongolian bear stew from the 12th century. And the recipe was sourced from um, a Mongolian cookbook called Soup for the Khan, which was written um, during Genghis Khan's grandson's reign over China. And it incorporated, you know, bear, which is not a traditional ingredient that we, that we often use, although it was ethically sourced, uh, I can assure everyone. And, and also an incredible mixture of different spices that are familiar to Chinese cuisine, but also Mongolian cuisine, but also reflective of kind of the massive geographic uh, landscape that the Mongolians ruled over. So it was this sort of like Mongolian 12th century fusion dish. And we don't necessarily know much about the everyday lives of people living under Mongolian rule in what is now Beijing in the 12th century. However, perhaps by eating this stew, it's almost like a transcendent experience. You are literally tasting something that someone else ate hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So uh, what we're often trying to do with these dishes is to, to inhabit a sort of like shared metaphysical space with, with someone who is no longer with us, but also with someone who perhaps did not leave a record behind. My mind is blown. I, <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around bear. Jay, make sure I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come to you later, Jay. But make sure that we geek out chef to chef on bear for a moment, because I need I, I need to know what's happening with with a bear stew. Victoria, thank you so much for that. All right, uh, Joshua, I want to jump uh, over to you. I want to hear want to hear your story. What are we talking about? Are we talking about being that that dad chef life. I know that's something you and I have talked about. So you've written articles for us about that. Is it uh, being Cambodian American? Is it making hot sauce. Give us that three-minute story. What do you got for us? Definitely. All right, y'all, I'm super excited to be here. Uh, so thank you for having me. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about everything. You're going to have to listen up real quick. <laughs> uh, so I'm a, I'm a dreamer, and I'm a big dreamer. And since I was a kid, I, I had my dad make me a shirt. He had an embroidery business, and it said, dream big, no limits. And I wore that shirt, like, a lot. And... And that's, that's one thing I realized, like, now that I'm a dad, when we ask our kid a question, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what is your dreams? What are your aspirations? And he tells me whatever he tells me, I want to be able to look at him and say, you know, go after your dream, just like I did, you know? And that's what, that's what makes me persistent. That's what motivates me to do what I do. That's why I can, you know, go sleepless nights and just work on creating content and expressing myself and getting these ideas out of my head. Um, is because I've, I've found my why, you know, I've made my why. Uh, like, like, like the quote uh, you, you had here earlier, um, you know, the, the unbearing, the, the untold story inside you. And I think this is what social media is for. We have so many ideas as individuals, like, and if we keep that idea inside of us, it's like, where does it go? It just dies with us. It dies with us. And no one can ever experience that idea unless we make an action of it. And that's the whole concept behind Love Food More behind my brand is you know i start off as food is life so love food more so what is what is food really it evolves around food you know the experiences the people that are around food the 
the hands, the stories that are told through the through the actual dishes. You know, as a chef, we get you know we get hurt. We take it personal when we create a dish and people are like, "Oh, I don't like this. This is, you know, this is terrible." Well, um, you don't understand. You don't understand the story behind it. You don't understand the history. You don't understand the ingredients. And we take that personal because it's really a part of our love that we put in the dish. And I think that's why I am catapulted into social media creating videos because it's my way to release all these ideas in my head. You know, so many times people tell me, like, I have these awesome ideas, but I don't want to tell you. I'm like, what, are you scared someone's going to take your idea? Well, then, you know, act on it and go 100% and chase your dream and go after what you want. Um, I, we have the saying, uh, my wife and I, you know, we live the sweet, salty, savory life where we don't know what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be sweet moments. There's going to be salty moments and there's going to be savory moments that we want to last forever. And if we learned anything during the last year was being able to adapt. And that's basically what we've done. We, we haven't been scared to change. And my whole initiative behind my brand is to get people to go after their dreams and to, you know, aspire not to stop and to just go after what they want and don't let anybody buy your dream. And, uh, you know, get the people who love food to, to love food more. Um, I'm Joshua, and thank you so much for your guys' time. Respect. So much respect, Joshua. That's, uh, that's what you put out there all the time. Uh, I, I am interested, just for a moment, I, I, I did want to touch on this because uh, you've introduced me to, to Cambodian dishes and, and ingredients uh, yet you're also just bringing anything like I'm, I'm cooking breakfast for my wife. I'm trying to get my kid to try some new food. So like it's encompassing all of who you are. You're not just you're niched down because it's you. You're not just niched down. I'm, I'm fascinated how you're how you're trying to bring that balance of Cambodian husband, father, living that New York life. Like give me an idea of, of maybe just a moment of your creative process to think about what you're actually going to put out there. So definitely, I love that you asked that because I was actually in Brooklyn the other day and I had a, we were doing an event out there and um, I had a chopped cheese for the first time. And at the same time, I had, a, I had a talk with one of the chefs there and he was like, what is your next step, man? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not completely happy with me, you know, making the food I'm making. Like I, I make videos of me making grilled cheeses, you know, making eggs. And it's like, whatever, you know, this is not a really inspiring dish to me. So I'm like that same night, I'm like, I had an idea. I'm like, I'm going to make a Cambodian which is an aromatic uh, lemongrass paste with like galango, shallots, kefir lime, uh, turmeric. And Cambodians use it in everything. And I'm like, I'm going to make a Cambodian krung chopped cheese sandwich. You know? Everything that happens that night, I'm going to bring that here, you know, this New York flair uh, with these Cambodian flavors and make something that's, you know, familiar but unfamiliar. And that's my whole thing is like approaching everything like that to give people a little sample so that it sparks a curiosity. Because just like a lot of people, I don't know much about Cambodian food. Even though I'm Cambodian, it's not like a birthright. It's not like something that you're born knowing. It's something that I was like, I just let my mom do it. And I just steered away and learned French Italian food. And now I look back at it like, man, I missed out on learning all these dishes. Like it was crazy because on my birthday, my mom sent me Cambodian food in the mail for my birthday. And I literally cried. I was just you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a, I'm almost 30 years old and I get this package of food in the mail and I'm like crying. I'm like, what is, what's wrong with me? So it's just like the power of food, man. And I'm definitely, definitely uh, in the next couple of weeks, guys, you're going to see me bring that Cambodian food to the front because I, I think I'm having a, a shift, a shift moment this last couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to need one of those packages from your mom. I will cry right along with you respect i appreciate that so much also victoria i'm going to need to know 
the history of Karang, where it came from, how it's evolved, how it's moved and migrated. And I'm also now realizing that we're going to need an edible history, love food, more pop-up collab. We'll work on that offline. I'm excited. This is why we get into these spaces. So uh, appreciate that for sure. Uh, let's see. Let's, uh, let's go from New York to small, 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 small town, Washington State. Michelle Fox, want to have you jump in and, uh, and give us three minutes. What's, what's the story you have to share with us today? I know you got a lot of them. What's, what's the one for us? All right. Um, you guys are a family and uh, an example to our community. So I always applaud you guys uh, for everything you do. Um, so I'm a Brazilian immigrant, um, a chef and a farmer. Um, so I'm able to understand the small farmers and their hurdles, the need for the food industry to shift into its conscious to seasonal cooking so we can secure the future of food and our children in this planet. Um, I always want to contribute uh, to my community um, at the same time, you know, the world. And uh, the way I do that is to kind of create a balance on how I spend my time. Um, some of my time is spent as a dietary manager at the main hospital in my county, a very small county, uh, changing the way hospital food is seen and eaten. Um, as a content creator and United Nations valued speaker in five countries, um, you know, I have a, a barn kitchen, studio kitchen that I built in this old barn in my farm where I film my videos. Um, and that is to share ways that we can partner uh, with the earth and cook uh, to reimagine the way we see food and we bring attention to our responsibility for the impact, impact food has in the world. And uh, Victoria talked a little bit about uh, not being in the history. And so uh, when I first got on Clubhouse, I created literally the second day, I think it was January, January 3rd um, this year, I created a club. I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, but I created Female Farmers United because there's so many female farmers out there. Uh, females have been a part of farming uh, since farming has been farming, but they never are portrayed. Um, so that's one of my big things is to bring small farmers and female farmers um, into the spotlight and also to remind us, remind us chefs, uh, James Beard, remind restaurants, everybody that, hey, if we don't have farmers, we don't have food and our farmers are dying and uh, people don't don't want to be a farmer. And, you know, I applaud them on that because it's, it's a very difficult thing to do. So I think that once we restaurants and everybody starts to really looking at using seasonality, using, you know, ingredients that are on season today and going directly to a farmer, cutting off the middleman and making that relationship, not just from chef to consumer, but farmer, chef, consumer. I've liked my mission in life. So I'm happy to be here sitting in my office at Mid Valley Hospital. Thank you. Shelly, it's, it's worth doing that work that, that, drives you for sure i want you to take just take like give us a 24 second your vision for seasonality and the way that we eat is something that always like moves me and inspires me 
and frustrates the hell out of me because I, I don't even eat like that. And it, it, it pains me because this is, this is something that we need to shift seasonality. Give us this, the real quick snapshot of your vision for seasonality and the way we eat. We need to be, we need to stop being spoiled. We need to know what's available today, right? Like sometimes we are in a restaurant in New York, it's December, and you go to a fancy restaurant and you get this raspberry dessert. Well, guess what? That raspberry took 3,000 miles. It came out of the vine green. It got sprayed to get to your table. That farmer in Peru made nothing. So it's our responsibility. Every time that you choose what to eat today, when you're at the grocery store, look for that little sticker and look to see which country it came from. That it came from the USA, meaning it's a little bit closer to you. Uh, and learning how to preserve food, that's something really important. I'm going to do a whole season on that. Um, learning to preserve food, you know, learn how to make salsa and can it. Learn how to make tomato sauce. Um, so, yeah, just little things. Go to your farmer's market. Meet your farmer. Um, farmer's Almanac. That's something I always recommend people. If you haven't heard of that, I think it's from 1800s. It's the first publication. It's called Farmer's Almanac. And in there, it'll tell you exactly what's on season on your part of the world uh, or of your of the country and you can then look at that list and be like okay i'm gonna eat with the seasons is that easy every time i ask you this question i'm so happy that i did and it always just devastates me because that raspberry i know i'm guilty of it we're guilty of it and, and there's <laughs> there's got to be a different way i also highly recommend checking out the seed savers catalog if you ever want to be just dumbfounded by how much food there actually is i look at the tomato section and it just it humbles me to to see over 500 different variations of of tomato and we know five in in our marketplace so uh, very interesting. All right, Mimi, I want to stay with, um, uh, I love the uh, the Brazilian-American experience. Uh, I love the Vietnamese-American experience from Mimi. If you want to jump in and, and give us your uh, give us your story. Oh, my God. I'm just enjoying these stories so much. And I'm excited to see so many friends in the audience. So um, I'm a Vietnamese chef who makes um, pretty good Vietnamese food. But for some reason, I could not get my bánh xèo to taste as good as my aunt's, who live in uh, who lives in Hoi An, central Vietnam, uh, where my husband and I have been back for the past twenty years prior to the pandemic to volunteer. So each year, I would ask her to make this dish. For those who have never had bánh xèo, it's a Vietnamese savory, super thin turmeric crepe that's uh, stuffed with shrimp and bean sprouts and mung bean and pork belly, and it's just super delicious. And, um, but no matter how many times I watch her make that dish, but when I emulate it at home, my bensao just never tastes as good as hers. And this kind of pissed me off. So finally, on one visit, I decided this time I would dissect each of her ingredients and I noticed her coconut milk was, you know, already poured into a bowl when I arrived. So I asked her what kind of, you know, what, what brand of coconut milk that she used. And she was like, what brand? Because she um, actually used this wooden coconut shaving tool with, um, it's got a metal jagged edge at the, at the end where you would sit on the bench and scrape the coconut with this tool. And she would then pack all the gratings in a cheesecloth and she would squeeze out the coconut liquid. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know that's how coconut milk was made. 
So I bought the same tool and made it at home. And finally, my bensel rocked just like my aunt's. That's when I started to learn more about the traditional Vietnamese way of cooking, which was born out of necessity because, you know, our ancestors didn't have access to shortcuts and convenient equipment like a refrigerator or a can of ready-made sauces. Everything had to be made from scratch. So traditional foods not only taste better or better for you, but also when you cook a dish the traditional way, you show respect by honoring its um, original ingredients and way of cooking. Uh, you know, although this doesn't mean you can't be creative with your food. Um, like my favorite chef, Daniel Hum, once said, you must know the rule before you can break them. And I agree with that, um, you know, that you must master the original recipe before you can put your own spin. So my food, Viglo, which is short for Vietnamese with global influences, is about innovation and cooking while honoring traditional recipes of the past. And I do it through thoughtful dining experiences with my pop-ups to share my Vietnamese culture and to connect with people. And this journey of learning more about the traditional Vietnamese way of cooking has brought me closer to my roots. It changed the way I cook and think, and it enriched my story as a chef. And that's it. I'm Chef Mimi Lan, and thanks for letting me share my story. Oh, the coconut. Uh... <laughs> That is that is absolutely what uh, what I've heard heard multiple times now. When Victoria is talking about it, Josh talking about the connection to to those those ingredients, talking about the farmer. I mean, talk about knowing your coconut. You're literally learning everything about yourself and the tenacity that you have to see an ingredient and a dish through. Uh, I love that intensity. Has did your and, and, I, and I apologize if, if she's passed away or anything like that, but has your aunt tasted your version? No, she lives in Vietnam. She's still alive. And okay. uh, I only have the opportunity to make my bun cell at home in the U.S. So no, she hasn't. <laughs> but I did tell her that because of her way of, of cooking things from scratch, that mine finally was as good as hers. Okay, I feel like a uh, little mini documentary of you going back to Vietnam, cooking that for your aunt. I, I see that in the future. So love, love hearing that story. I uh, just want to take a second to uh, reset the room. Everybody, we're here at uh, the Talk Club talking culinary storytellers, uplifting their communities. This is a recorded room. It'll be available, the full recording on Best Served Podcast, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts so that you can catch up with this. Uh, you'll also be able to find links to connect with the, uh, with the speakers and, uh, and hopefully you know, be able to continue to uh, hear their stories, connect with their stories, share your stories with them. I know everybody here on stage not only likes telling their stories and has amazing stories to tell, those who tell great stories love to listen and hear great stories. So please never, ever feel like your story is not worth being shared it is and uh, and that's what we're here to talk about so uh let me go to uh let's let's have amber jump in amber mayfield do you want to go ahead and uh give us your three minutes what's the story that compels you the agony that you need to let out of you because the story is so worth sharing what do you got for us oh i hope i could make it as dramatic as that sounded <laughs> um so thank you for having me um 
the agony that led to my story. So I actually started my career working um, in television. I was working at Bravo TV and I was doing, you know, I was exposed to so much around like food for television, food in restaurants, working with chefs, um, so on and so forth. And I think what really brought me agony or frustration was just not seeing as many people who look like me, not only on the screen, but also behind the scenes, making some of this content and some of these events possible. And also just a, a hint of frustration towards going to different restaurants in the city. And again, not seeing people that look like me or feeling particularly welcomed at some of them. So I started my first business, which is called To Be Hosted as a Supper Club. And it was a supper club that really is to cater to people of color, both at the table and also in the creating position. So different chefs, artists, and musicians, we would work together in creating these really intimate dining experiences and just trying to bring people together and like tell those stories in person. So I've been doing that since 2017. And we've since scaled the business to do events and pop-ups and all sorts of things for folks. But what I really noticed was that if you didn't, you know, get, get an invite to these events, you weren't getting the breadth of all of these great stories from different food folks and beverage folks. So it, that led me to a magazine in 2020. So I wanted to create the magazine to be this yearly publication that would essentially highlight and collect the legacies of all these awesome food creatives and really help people at home have more exciting dinner experiences, giving them stories, recipes, playlists, hostess tips, conversation starters, everything they need to kind of get the warm and fuzzies at home, but also learn how somebody else cooks, learn somebody else's story, and just really engage with um, creatives of the African and Caribbean diaspora in a way that right now still feels like, you know, just a listicle or a diversity box. So that is my story and my driving motivation. Most of my storytelling sits between events and print content, soon video, but thank you for including me. I'm really excited to share this work with you and I hope you guys check it out. Amber, yes. You just mentioned something that I think is really important is to be able to have people feel comfortable when they're throwing that party, when they're a part of that, that, that uh, event, to feel like they have the platform to share their story. And I think one of the things that happens far too often in hospitality is we look for that liquid courage, right? That we're always trying to, to say that there's an excuse for like, oh, I was so this or that, so I was able to finally share my story. And creating a safe space where bringing those stories to life, not just the gregarious of those who are, are the center of attention, but everybody has a, a piece of that ability to tell a story. I think if you create those safe spaces uh, through food, through beverage, hospitality, I think is, is really powerful. So thank you for that. And I just want to say there's a lot of interstecting storylines right now. You're talking about the diaspora. We just had uh, Zoe from Zoe's Gone a Kitchen on uh, episode came out today. Total plug for Zoe's uh, book there. Came out today on the, uh, on the video cast on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. And uh, we were talking about that experience. And then I see Zoe post a cherry bomb event that Amber is on the panel. And Cicely Sierra, who's in the audience right now, is moderating that. And I just, I got this sense of like, that is where the power of our industry is. Those are voices that we need to be hearing. Uh, I was so excited to see that, talking to Chef Katina Smith and Cicely and Nick and Shy in Detroit and, and feeling like that, that black girl magic is a real thing and it is now and the future voices and leaders of our industry. So I was excited to see that. Amber, a moment, what was that, what was that event like? 
That so the Cherry Bomb event was really special. We were talking about Princess Pamela. They brought back a reprint of her book from 45 years ago, and it's this beautiful hardcover book. And we were just really the legacy and storytelling that she created and, and getting that mainstream again. So it's definitely a book that I think is worth checking out. It's Princess Pamela's Soul Food Cookbook. Um, and Zoe's book is great too. Zoe was in one of the first editions of the magazine. And the first time I met her, I remember interviewing her and she was talking about all these great spices and she just like took out like a grains of paradise and just popped it in my mouth. <laughs> and it was like the first time we ever met. It was of course pre-pandemic and that wasn't weird, but she just has such a great way of storytelling and making people all feel really excited about the spices uh, of her her narrative. So yeah, there. I think there's so many exciting things that are happening. Happening. I don't know if I would call it black girl magic, but I just I think that there is uh, a renaissance around hearing storytellers that might not look like you as often. I have about a dozen spices that uh, are a must in my pantry now after listening to Zoe. I fit very much Victoria. You'd love talking to Zoe very much this like educational historian aspect connecting and going beyond just West Africa, going to the, the specific countries therein and then the region. So another great, uh, great storyteller and uh, appreciate that. All right, uh, Jay, why don't we have you jump in? I remember Bear. So like, uh, you know, I'm going to hijack part of your story at least uh, and make sure that it intersects with Bear. But please give us three minutes of a story. And if we got to follow up and talk Bear, we'll do that. But uh, what do you got for us? Hey, my name is Jay Rifle. I have to start off by telling you that bear can be weirdly seasonal, and I actually ran up against a bear shortage last time for the Beard House, so you have to be careful with that. Um, but my name is Jay Rifle, and um, I'm the chef from Edible History. Um, I've certainly always been a storyteller. This is actually very much a second career for me. Um, I used to work as a screenwriter, some might say hack screenwriter, um, and I found that actually very depressing um, because the things that one might work on take a very long time to emerge and they might not be anything like what you had dreamed they would be. Um, I had always been very interested in food and I would always really enjoyed cooking. Um, I was totally disillusioned with that and I moved to a farm in the middle of nowhere and I learned to bake bread. Um, and then I came to New York and studied pastry and uh, worked in restaurants and taught myself to cook savory. I had always been extremely interested in history and Victoria and I met and it was just an instant I would say meeting with minds, but really extreme geek fest would be a better way of, of thinking about it. Um, we've been doing edible history for a while now. Um, I used to always joke and say, well, I write and I make food, but I don't write about food. But now we uh, finally have a cookbook coming out in like over a year. Um, so I will finally be writing about food. And our cookbook is called A History of the World in 10 Dinners. And that's really what we do. We try to focus on bringing history to life through food. Like we talk about like food as the gateway drug to history. And there's this moment that we always see, and she, she kind of stole, stole this one from me, but um, when diners sit down and they start to eat and they have that moment where they're like, 
I'm eating something that might be exactly the same as someone ate a thousand years ago, even two thousand years ago, and that maybe no one has eaten in the meantime. And to me, that's a really remarkable moment. That's really what we do now. Like, and I definitely think of it from a storytelling a storytelling perspective. Like when I create a menu, when I create a dinner, we think about what is the story we're trying to tell? Who are the people that maybe people never think about? You know, the people in history who are, have slid through the cracks or have been deliberately ignored, been oppressed, you know. So we very much try to do that with the dishes that we choose and the ingredients that we choose. And so, and so, real quick, Bear, what, what were you trying to evoke from a culinary perspective? I understand from Victoria to trying to set the Genghis Khan kind of this, this motif of a time and a place. What, what on the palate was Bear? What were you trying to accomplish? Well, I think there's two things with Bear, actually. One is just the kind of exoticism of it and the excitement of eating this thing that we wouldn't mostly consider eating. But the thing that's really interesting about the Mongol Khanate is that it's this really syncretic tradition. Like they're bringing a lot of Persian influences. They're bringing a lot of Han Chinese influences and we're bringing it together. And I actually serve that dish with a, a paste that's called ishkane, which is served on a flatbread that's probably closest to what you would think of as like a naan, like a tandoor-cooked you know, flatbread. But that paste brings together elements, everything from lamb fat to Chinese pickles to coconut, in a, in a way that like, Usually when I read a recipe, even though these are ancient recipes and they're, you know, I have a pretty good sense of what it's going to taste like and how I'm going to make it work. And I looked at that recipe and I was like, wow, I have no idea what this is going to taste like. But it ended up being this remarkable savory stuff and went extremely well with the bear. The bear is a very, very pungent, has a lot of asafoetida and a lot of black pepper and tailed pepper. I mean, I have so many different peppers on my station. Um... And apart from Grains of Paradise, I'd like, to sing, I'd like to sing the praises of long pepper, which is really one of the most remarkable spices out there. Jay, you're, you're melting my face off right now. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, this is why I always, everybody, word to the wise, always come to clubhouse, especially our clubhouse rooms, on a full stomach because the, uh, the, uh, the amount of uh, deliciousness that gets thrown around the room is, uh, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to come to Debbie. Debbie, I want to hear a little bit from you. Um, then we are going to open hand raising. And again, I, there's a couple of things that I want to make sure and bring some practical value. So through some people maybe coming up on stage, I do want uh, speakers to be able to share a little bit about, you know, how, how you kind of uh, gave yourself permission to start bringing that story out. I've heard that a little bit. Definitely want to talk practical application on like how you decide if you're going written, if you're going... If you're going audio, uh, should I go on Instagram? Should I be on TikTok? Where and how do I need to be telling my story? I know a lot of people struggle with that, so I think that can be some practical advice. So if that can come out through the next uh, 15 minutes, that would be amazing. And then kind of finding that community. How did you find New York? How did you find uh, you know, small-town Washington? Finding ourselves. How did you find yourself in the middle of nowhere baking bread? I think uh, some of those things are, are very valuable for people trying to become a storyteller themselves. So, uh, Debbie, let's, uh, let's have you jump in here. 
Hi, I'll just share really quickly because I want to I want to get us back to the great the great awesome conversation. But I appreciate you um, offering me a little bit of space, Jensen. And I certainly cannot tell the story on behalf of the James Beard Foundation, so I'll just tell it on behalf of Debbie Holloway. Um, but I've been just really resonating with what so many folks on the in the room tonight have been saying about you know each of our food journeys connecting us to something deeper than ourselves. You know, like connecting us to culture, connecting us to our country of origins, connecting us to family or to community in a greater way. And um, my my experience uh, since working in the food world, specifically since living in New York City and working in New York City, has certainly been that food has connected me in a greater way to to all of those things in a really special way. I largely grew up in kind of suburbia and uh, I only bought food from, you know, supermarkets and food wasn't that important to my family. But since I've been living in New York City, um, I have worked at the Museum of Food and Drink and I've gotten the opportunity to work for the James Beard Foundation. And I've learned more about where where food comes from and, and who makes it and who can make it. And uh, in the pandemic, um, I, I am one of the many, many folks I would imagine, and even a few folks on this call, who've started for the first time growing some of my own food. I joined up with a community garden down the street, and I've started growing more herbs in my window. Um, and this summer, we've been eating tomatoes and peppers and eggplants that are coming from the garden, and my mind is just totally blown by it. And I think that a lot of people, whether it was the sourdough bread craze or the, the gardening really were able to to reconnect to the land around them and the people and the neighbors around them in a new way um, through food as a mechanism for community building. And so I just figured I would share that since Jensen gave me the opportunity. And I, I imagine a lot of people resonate with that. I think at this time, before we open the hand raising to uh, do a little reset, we are in the Storytellers Uplifting Their Communities room and it's hosted by Best Serve Podcast, who's recording this room. I'm so glad you're recording this because I would love to send the links to my friends um, who uh, missed the room. There's so many great stories that's been shared. And Mimi, I want to make sure that your aunt hears this. Like, <laughs> if, if we need to figure yes. out translation, I want your aunt to hear this. Like, the people who affect us you know what? are That's the reason why or why. I want your aunt to hear this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so it's going to be aired on Thursday, if I uh, if that's correct, at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And the link will be posted on Best Served Podcast IG, uh, as well as, um, you know, wherever that you usually listen to your podcast. This room is also hosted by James Beard Foundation, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to celebrate, support, and elevate the people behind America's food culture and champion a standard of good food anchored by talent, equity, and sustainability. We want to thank Talk Club for holding, for holding space for this room as one of the largest clubs on Clubhouse that helps highlight uh, important people, discussion, and events. So tap on that greenhouse above to become a member and see more rooms like this. Um, so I think that you can still ping your friends in the room so uh, they don't miss out on these uh, you know, uplifting stories, but we're gonna open the hand raising right now. Um, or you can tap on the plus sign at the bottom to 
you know, to, to invite more people in or the, the hand raising to, to, to speak. Um, back to you, Chef Jensen. Excellent. Yeah, please. Anybody in the room who wants to, uh, to raise their hand, uh, ask a question, like again, a practical question, Joshua, how do you make cooking videos on TikTok and have, you know, 50,000 plus followers? We can get practical like that. I'd love to bring value so that you have more, more avenues to be able to share your story. So please, anybody who has uh, those kind of questions, jump up. Uh, anybody who maybe wants to share for a moment uh, as well, want to take maybe about 10 uh, we'll maybe cut ourselves off at 15 minutes, get everyone back on to their evening, but want to take this last little bit um, to be able to acknowledge some people and get some people on stage. So if uh, anybody's raising their hands, uh, Mimi, if you want to bring me one person at a time, please keep it uh, uh, brief, maybe 30 seconds or so, so we can get a few people up on stage and hear from our, uh, from our speakers a little bit more uh, as we kind of go. So, yeah. All right, Michael. See, uh, brought you up on stage, Michael. Uh, go ahead and uh, and uh, tell us uh, tell us what's on your mind. Uh, well, first of all, this is a really inspiring conversation. I I'm just lit up listening to what you're doing, and uh, Mimi told me about the room, and I'm just really excited to be here. Anything to add? Any any question? Again, if if you're out there, I see. Uh, podcast hosts, voice for chefs, love hearing that. So uh, any value that uh, anybody up here on stage can bring, please um, uh, sure, let us know. Sure. Yeah, I started a podcast called Voice for Chefs uh, during the pandemic. And I woke up one day, I spent 10 years in the business studying to be a chef, went to cooking school, but I left the business and went into technology. And when the pandemic hit, I really felt for the people that work in the business, how they struggle and and I realized that chefs need a voice. So I created Voice for Chefs and I interview chefs around the country and soon to be around the world, um, giving them a voice. So coming here is just so inspiring to hear what you have to say. And I do have one, one question actually. Please. Okay. Um, for, for the James Beard Foundation, I know that you award a lot of chefs um, scholarships. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that because I know there's a chef in Seattle, Chef Sabrina Tinsley from the Speaker Restaurant. And she received an amazing scholarship based on some of the work she does with the community. And I can't remember what the name of it is, but I think it's a business scholarship. Can you talk about any of that? Hi, Michael, thank you so much for that question. I will keep it pretty brief, um, but I'll be able to to let folks know where they can find out more information about that. I love that you brought up the JBF scholarships because it's something that the James Beard Foundation has actually been doing longer than almost anything else we've been doing. A lot of people think of the awards, the James Beard Awards, when they think of the foundation, but we have given out um, so many scholarships over the years and we're where I would say we're probably more proud of that than we are of any of the awards that we've ever given out. Um, we collaborate with other institutions and with other um, foundations uh, to be able to give out those grants. And that's not a team that I've ever worked on. And so I can't give you a lot of details about the names of the grants or the amounts of the grants or what, you know, kind of what the intricacies of that is like. 
But if anyone is interested or if anyone knows someone who would be a really you know, worthy recipient of a, of a grant of some kind, I would encourage you to go to um, jamesbeard.org and check out the, the section about our scholarships. You can also private message us on any of our social media platforms like Instagram is a great way to do that. Or you can email uh, impact at jamesbeard.org with any questions. And uh, yeah, thank you, Michael, just for mentioning the scholarships. Yeah, and Michael, uh, please message any of us up on, on stage with supporting anybody who's out there trying to uplift their communities, amplify voices. We're all in. We're here for it. This is our, our life's mission now and forever is to uh, amplify the worth and work of those who feed their communities. So please, please reach out to us. Love to you know have you on our show any way that we can support anybody who, who's uh, mission-driven in that way as well uh yeah and again if anybody else wants to pop up and a uh, great question that's some i love that we can be inspirational and get some practical actionable value at the same time as i think important uh maybe uh amber uh, i wanted to maybe you said video coming soon and that piqued my interest we have a couple really strong uh video voices out here i was i was interested uh you know maybe why don't you have it yet or or has there been a challenge or anything that might bring a little bit of kind of your journey uh, and maybe, you know, somebody like Joshua, who's, who's crushing it on that game could, uh, could bring some value there for, for you and for everybody in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for, for bringing that up. So, I mean, I would like to start doing like a short, almost like a TV series, but not on TV. I mean, maybe on TV, let me speak prophetically but i'd like to start doing like a food show that centers more on like the sit down dining experience of food and i just we haven't gotten there yet because funding i think funding is always a challenge both of my businesses were self-funded i really just like got out and hustled to get the money i needed to take a magazine to print and and to have the capital to start my first business so yeah, my answer is really just funding and hustling to make sure we've got the budget to really do it right and do it in a way that like people are excited to work on that project. Joshua, how are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, grung, grung chopped cheese sandwiches on the skinny. Like what, what is it like being able to, you're living in New York, it's expensive, all that. How are you creating content on a budget? Hey guys, so actually, I'm actually living in New Jersey. So that's the joy of condolences. <laughs> it's actually like I've grown to love New Jersey. Like coming from Minneapolis, living in Orlando, living in New York, like New Jersey's d doesn't have as much hype as it should have. There's actually a lot of great restaurants out here. Um, community and a little private chef thing, which I've been doing recently as well. And we've been doing a lot of pop-ups in the area. And my whole way of like creating has been mainly just like thinking of it as documenting like I think it's a lot more effort when you're like oh man I have to shoot a video today I have to you know sub the camera do these things like I I challenged myself to vlog 30 days on my birthday um so for each day of the month until my birthday so my birthday's on the 30th and I vlogged every single day and posted every single day and that was a challenge in itself I'm just documenting I'm seeing what I do every day because like I don't even remember what I'm doing every day if every if every day is not worth making a movie out of then like what am I doing you know so that's the way I kind of look at it it's like track everything and it, I learned so much about myself just by doing that um and I just post it like it's it's a hard thing to do like to to get over the fear of like getting judged 
by people. Because <laughs> let's be real, that, 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 is, that does happen a lot. Yeah, we, we call it that capture over create mindset. Just capture, capture, capture. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing right now, I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to know it. I think, I think that's important. You just have to start making. Like that imposter syndrome stuff, it's heavy. It weighs heavy, especially on food people. Like we're not out here changing the world. We're not brain surgeons. We might be the ones who can actually change the world because nothing creates a sense of belonging. Nothing like food and the familial experience. And you want to change the world? You want to change hearts and minds? Gather around a table. Because even if I don't agree with you on anything, if we sit at that table and you make me the dish that speaks to who you are, I could never hate you. May not agree with you, but could never hate you. And so I think it's a powerful thing. We can change the world, but sometimes we're told you're just a cook. Joshua, you're just as good as the next plate up, right? Like that mentality is something that, that's deep-seated in us. So I, I uh, appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Troy, so we uh, maybe brought Troy up onto the stage. Uh, Troy, you want to um, uh, let us know what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, Jensen. Hey, Chef Mimi and everybody. Uh, friends with a few of you here and some in the audience. Glad to be here. Thanks for the room. It's uh, refreshing to have some unique content like what you guys are bringing here to Clubhouse, which is uh, quite different from some of the formats that uh, are being offered. So I'm greatly appreciative of that. You know, I wanted to throw out a question to, to anybody or everybody in, in on stage is, you know, at some point you decided to start telling your story. You didn't always tell your story, not, not at least in a way that was in this type of format, right? Public, on social media, vlogging, writing. You didn't always tell your story that way. So I was curious if anybody wanted to share the story of what they've seen the impact since they started telling their story in a more um, you know, uh, scalable or spreadable or obvious way beyond maybe the one-on-one while cooking or the one-on-one across the table from a client or a friend. Um, I would love to hear the benefit or the result or the feedback or what you, you know, fulfillment you've gotten or given in, in relation to finally deciding to uh, make telling your story part of your real daily activities or, or, or life activities. Yeah, Michelle, you want to jump in? Yeah, I was going to jump in just because, um, Hi, Troy. Um, I think for me personally, um, starting Clubhouse and uh, on the Clubhouse and then even before I worked in San Francisco for a long time and uh, I feel very extremely accomplished to the fact that I'm able to now hear others talking about the farmer and seasonal food um, on their conversations. Um, So I feel like I'm doing my part every time that I come into a room and it's all, you know, chefs talking and culinary people talking and they're talking about, you know, that start when the food enters the restaurant and what they do after that and seeing people more and more wanted to bring the the farmer and where your food comes from into the conversation. Um, That's something that brings me joy every day. And I see a huge difference um, day by day. Every time I put my word out there in the world, um, cooking out of my um, my barn, Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, contact me and tell me like, oh, my God, like that has changed the way I see food. And and that gives me like a super excitement every day. Like I go to sleep and I'm like, yes, today. 
you know, I have done a little change in the world is by bringing that, that perspective to people. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, Victoria, I wanted to maybe get your perspective here. Uh, we also haven't heard from you for a while. You know, historians are behind the pages so often. History has not, especially in food, we've been so focused on what's next, new, new, future, like the future of food. Uh, and sometimes we want to slow down and look backwards a little bit. I'm interested now that you're, you're putting food history into the mainstream, or at least uh, pushing towards that, bringing it in, in vogue a little bit, uh, getting some hype behind it. What's, what's that been like? What's the impact? That's a good question. I mean, you know, Jay and I don't really tell our own stories. We, we really are just committed to telling the stories of, of those who came before us. But I would say since we kind of began this entire edible history journey, some of the most uh, sort of satisfying moments have been at dinners when, um, you know, someone will pull me aside at the end of dinner and say something like, uh, you know, I was never interested in history when I was in school. Um, and I've come to a few of your dinners now, and now I'm actually buying history books to kind of read in my spare time. And that is everything. The idea that we can get people interested in history by bringing them into the conversation through, through a dinner, if that's perhaps like the avenue that they find most interesting. Um, that's really wonderful because history can often feel um, a little bit elitist, like it's, you know, this very academic thing. And that if you don't know a lot or you don't have the degrees, you can't participate in the conversation. Um, but, you know, history is everyone's story, just like you were talking about, you know, food being this wonderful, universal common denominator that can bring different peoples together. Um, I think history, you know, if we all can kind of participate in the conversation and, and know our own histories and each other's histories, um, there's, there's a real power in that. Yeah, I hear you there. Thanks for that. All right, everybody, we're, uh, we're getting to the end of our time. Stephen, I want to uh, have you be able to get acknowledged and, uh, and, and maybe ask a question of the group here. Uh, I do want to take a moment, speakers, think about uh, the one place outside of Clubhouse. Where do we need to connect with you? Is it a website? Is it the blog? Is it uh, Instagram? So I uh, do want to hear that very quick from each of you, and then Debbie will take us out uh, to finish this room. So a couple more minutes here. But uh, Stephen, go ahead. What's on your mind? I just wanted to stop by and say hi to everyone. <laughs> I'm getting ready to open up our ghost kitchen. So I just saw this and said, what the hell? I'll stop by, say my hellos, and uh, see how everyone is doing. Hope you guys had a great weekend and you're staying safe out there. Steven, you're great. We appreciate you. Every once in a while, we're talking about important things, trying to change the world, and we just need somebody to stop by and say hi. Thank you for that, Steven. Appreciate that. Uh, all right. Let's... Uh, yeah, let's get to wrapping up this room. Amazing room, by the way. Really, really appreciate all of your stories, all the inspiration. I know some connections were made here. I know we're going to see some, some uh, Love Food More, Edible History, Cambodian uh, uh, team up. I, I see it. I feel it. I, I love that type of energy that we have going here. So let's, uh, let's keep, that, uh, keep that energy uh, high for everybody as you go through and navigate the world. Uh, challenges and joys alike. But uh, real quick, I'm going to pop around the room. Number one place to connect with you. Uh, Corey will make sure and link that up in the description of the podcast recording. If you're listening to this on the podcast, get over to Clubhouse, 
so that you can be a part of these connections, a part of this community, that you can start to share your own story. We will absolutely create and hold that space for you. That's what we're here to do. So uh, Mimi, best place to connect with you. Yes, I'm a uh, an Instagram girl, so hit me up at the Taste Curator. Thanks, Michelle. I would say two things. One, uh, Michelle the Fox uh, on Instagram, and also I have a Patreon, Michelle the Fox. Uh, that's a good spot. Also, thank you. Yes, supporting creators, artists on Patreon, something I absolutely believe in. Uh, let's get more of Michelle's uh, cooking videos from the barn out there we need more of the barn in your life the videos look great by the way uh joshua for you best place to connect you can find me everywhere at love food more that's one word love food more i'm on tiktok instagram patreon youtube facebook (laughs) i don't really have one spot i post everywhere but go to tiktok i'm just going to tell you where to connect with joshua (laughs) go to tiktok because it's the emerging platform if you are in food beverage hospitality you are not on tiktok you are missing the opportunity uh, to think about being on Instagram heavy, heavy, heavy in in 2014. Think about being Facebook all in 2012. Imagine the depth that your story could have. So please go check uh, Joshua out on TikTok. Amber, for you, where should we connect? Um, I am at Wall Entertaining on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. Pinterest. Now we you're you're locking down Pinterest. Corey, let's make sure Pinterest. There's there's a <laughs> lot of white space opportunity there. Uh, highly overlooked, and uh, you got to think about it like a search engine. It's uh, it's there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot that you can do, and it's a good way to actually grow Instagram. Little uh, sneaky trick there. Uh, all right, Victoria, for you, Edible History. Where do we find you? Yeah, definitely uh, Instagram, uh, at Edible History, and we're actually doing some cooking classes coming up in the next few months, so you can come test out recipes with us in the Test Kitchen in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we'll be posting about it on social. So. Love that. Jay, anything to add? You, you get to double dip because you're both here, Edible History. Anywhere else we need to connect with you? You can get to me in the same place. You can also get to me in my own Instagram, Jay Rifle, J-A-Y-R-E-I-F-E-L. There's a lot of zany, weird food stuff on there. See a lot of the recipe testing that I'm doing. It's also Facebook, but just hit me up. Good. I want to see some bear content, Jay. All right. All right. The, we're going to wrap here. Debbie, go ahead and, uh, and take us out. What, uh, what an amazing room. What a great start to this four-part series. Again, everybody, four-part collaboration between Besser Podcast and James Beard Foundation, uh, Tuesdays, 5.45 p.m. Eastern time. And we're going to be talking labor shortage. We're going to be talking sustainable food packaging. We're going to be talking with indigenous voices over the next four weeks. Debbie. I'm so excited about all this. Thank you, everybody, for such a great night. Um, I hope that everyone in the audience is following all of these incredible storytellers on their handles, on their websites. Um, If you want to follow up with the James Beard Foundation and find out more about what we're up to, we are at Beard Foundation across pretty much all social media. But I would say especially give our Instagram a follow. We have great um, interviews there. We have cooking demos there. We have announcements there. And if you you are in the industry, if you are a member of the food industry, also definitely hop over to uh, the jamesbeard.org website and sign up for our industry newsletter. 
um, where we announce uh, information about stuff like our scholarships, about grant opportunities, about upcoming events like this one, mental health resources, all kinds of stuff. So that's where you can find more information about JBF. Um, but yeah, just thanks everyone so much for coming. We really hope to see you guys for the next one. Um, James Beard also hosts a monthly mental health check-in on Clubhouse, um, one Monday a month. So follow our Clubhouse page if you're interested in some of that, checking in about wellness and mental health and just staying sane and all of these crazy times. And uh, everyone have a good, a good safe night. Anything else I need to add, Jensen, as I close out? That's it. That's a wrap, everybody. Go tell your story. We're listening. It matters. And connect with us so that we can have the opportunity to hear it and amplify it. That's it. Thanks to Mimi, Michelle, Joshua, Amber, Debbie, Victoria, Jay, everybody who popped up on stage. Corey, as always, on the ones and twos, making sure that we all sound good and uh, link us all up. And uh, you'll see some audiograms, little nice uh, sound bites from each of the speakers. We like to produce those. Get those out on social media so that it can continue to inspire us long after these rooms. That's it. We're going to wrap this room. Thank you, every, everybody, so much. Uh, have a great rest of your evening. Cheers. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.